So, uh, as you can see here, how many of you are familiar with this? Now, if you were born in the, in the 90s, you may not know what this is. Uh, but if you were born in the 70s, if you're born in the 80s, yes, this is an antenna. Okay? <laughs> see, back in the day, uh, obviously this is before cable, before smart TVs, before HD TVs, before UHD TVs. I don't even know what's next. They might actually come out with a hologram, right? I'm not really quite sure if that's a theory or whatever, but I think that that could be a real thing. But back in the day, when the struggle was really, really real, uh, <laughs> we had those big fat TVs, you know, like, you know what I'm talking about, where it's like 80 pounds to like pick it up? Yeah, you, you see this gun. Anyways, so we had to use this to get what? Reception. We actually had to use this to get a clear signal. And I believe tonight that this could be an analogy, that this could be a visual for us tonight that uh, maybe for some of us, um, it's going to take us places that we've never been before. You know when you watch TV or hear radio and it's like a blur and you're like, okay, I just want to get a clear signal, right? But what do you do? You take the antenna and then you kind of put it on the ground thinking that, hey, like, if I put it right here, if I put it like maybe an inch, you know, maybe we get some reception and it's like still not working. And then what do, you, what do you do? You pick it up, and then you put it on top, right? Like whatever you had for your TV, you kind of put it up top thinking that if I put it higher, I'm going to get better reception, right? Am I the only one who did that or believed that? Okay, yeah. And then for some of us, right, we would do one of these. Extend. Like we'd be like, okay, let's, let's extend this like this. Now what I want to say tonight is that as you can see right here, as these arms are being extended out, I believe that if we can position ourselves, if we could position our hearts, and if we're able to just literally just go like this and say, God, I am here. I am willing to hear your voice. Speak to me, God, and I will respond to exactly what you're saying to me. And I believe that many of you will hear the voice of God tonight. But... With that being said, to hear God's voice, there are certain things that need to happen, right? Because we like noise. We are a generation that really, really likes noise, right? We like loud. We like big. We like hype things. We like to be lit, you know? Like, if I'm going to be honest, like, it's really awkward to be silent, like, have you just been inside of your room, and then you just shut everything off, and you just sit there? Like, how long can you sit there in complete silence? It's, like, really awkward, right? And it's, like, to the point where it's, like, you find ways to make noise. And as I was preparing even this, this message, it convicted me because it made me wonder, how quiet is my quiet time? You know, it's, like, even in our prayer time, even in our Bible reading time, even in our just, when we're working, like, we have our Spotify playlist, our Apple Music. I mean, some people need nature sounds to go to sleep. You know, for you workout, you know, gym junkies, you know, out there, you need, like, that hype music to get you going. You know, it's like, it's almost to the point that we've depended on noise to get by, and we just cannot learn to be still and just to be in the silence because it's just uncomfortable. 
And I think tonight, I'm asking you guys, I'm going to challenge you guys, are you guys willing to be still in the silence? Can you guys be comfortable in the sound of silence? Somewhere Mumford and Sons are like, yep, royalty. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? The sound of silence, like, hello, darkness, my old friend. Dang. Okay, so like millennials will, will probably not get that. But tonight, uh, I invite you guys to just to be still. Tonight is not going to be a, a one-liner type of night, you know. I don't look forward to, you know, coming with an uppercut, you know, with that cool little one-liner or statement. But tonight, what I want to do is something that I personally have never done before. And I want to invite you to be on a journey with me. And tonight, I'm going to stay in one narrative. And through one narrative, we're going to drive this thing out. We're going to just exposit that thing. And if you're wondering, what the heck does exposit mean? If you take the first half of that word, it means to expose. Tonight is a night where... If I may, and if I could have your, uh, your willingness and your heart and your attention, I want to teach you guys the Bible. Not just preach, but I want to teach it. And we're going to stay, like I said, in one narrative. So fasten your seatbelts. So tonight, we're going to be in Elijah. That's the story in 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm not going to have scripture for you uh, on the screens because tonight, obviously, we had an acoustic set. It's going to be a stripped-down night. And yes, I am going to make you work for God's word. Nothing is going to come easy for you tonight. And so whether you have your smartphones, your iPads, uh, get your Bibles out, and uh, let's get going. Who's ready to do this? I'm I'm actually reading this in the the NLT. uh, And so... Whatever version you have, you can follow along. 1 Kings 19. Ahab, King Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Dot, dot, dot. That means that in 24 hours, I'm going to kill you. There's a bounty on you. Then Elijah, then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank. And when the strength of that, uh, of that food, 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God, the Lord speaks to Elijah, There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. 
and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. This is God's word. In some traditions, some people might say, and thanks be to God, but it's okay. Now, if there's anybody that we can relate to, it's Elijah. It's no wonder that James 5.17 says this, that Elijah was a man just like us, that he had a nature just like us. And what that means is that he had hopes like us. He had dreams like us. He had strength like us. He had weaknesses like us and shortcomings and even ignorance and even foolishness. And again, like I said, we're going to stay in the story of Elijah because I believe that through this story, that we can learn so much about him, but more importantly, the whisper of God, the sound of silence, the still small voice, the whisper that gives us peace, the peace that surpasses understanding. So there's three points tonight, three quick points um, surrounding basically on peace. But before we identify those three points, I gotta give you some context. And that context comes from 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. Now, if you have your smartphones, this is going to be a little bit easier so that you can follow along with me. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm just going to say, hey, bookmark it. But I'm going to do my best, okay? And forgive me. I might skip some places, but I'm going to give you this narrative in a very condensed version uh, so that you can follow along. And so we're gonna get, I'm going to give you some history, some context, and some background. But more importantly, we have to answer the question, who is is Elijah. Who is this man that we can relate to so much? Who is this man that has a nature just like us? Now, during this time, 1 Kings 17 and 18, there's a king named King Ahab, and there's a queen named Queen Jezebel. Make some noise if you're familiar with these names. You've heard of them, right? All right, cool. So I don't need to give you so much deep history, but during this time, like prior to King Ahab, there was evil kings like, the lineage of kings were so messed up. And, and the Bible specifically mentions, like, it's, it's, it's so interesting in Kings that the Bible says this. It says that Ahab did more than any king to provoke God to anger. And King Ahab, he was just this, this king doing evil things, but his wife was even worse. She basically influenced him into worshiping Baal. And, and are you familiar with Baal? The prophets of Baal? The god Baal? Okay, so if you aren't, Baal was the god, a pagan god, lowercase g, not capital G. He was the god of the storm, the god of rain, the god of dew, okay? And because of Ahab's ignorance, because Ahab's unrepentant heart enters Elijah, because God's like, okay, I've seen enough I'm going to send a messenger. And throughout the narrative of the Old Testament, that's basically the role of the prophet, right? To, to pass along God's message so that people can repent. So here comes Elijah. Elijah in 1 uh, Kings 17, he comes and he confronts Ahab. And, and Elijah doesn't do the, hey, allow myself to introduce myself type of deal. His first words were this to King Ahab. Hey, yo, king. No rain for a few years. Now, I don't 
know if you understand the severity of those words. God gave um, Elijah a prophetic word to say to King Ahab, no rain. And, and basically, uh, if you think about it, this is like the best and worst, like, yo mama joke. Like, seriously, no one's going to talk about mama child that way. You know what I mean? Like... I will fight you. I mean, like, I look like I'm 125, but I will stomp on you if you talk bad about Mama Cha. She could probably hold her own. But I'm just letting you know that, like, that is the severity, you know, because he's worshiping the God of rain and dew, you know? And so, which leads to our point, our first point, point number one, peace. I said three points that surround peace. Peace is the presence of God. I'm going to repeat that. Peace is the presence of God. You know, when I look at the definition of peace, of how our society, how our culture, how our world defines it, it's, such, it's so completely at odds with how the Bible defines it. The way how we define it is this. Like, no fighting, like artificial harmony, we sing kumbaya, everything's all good, even though I'm not offended, I don't wanna like talk about it, so let's sweep it under the rug, you know? Like, that kind of peace where there's, like, no conflict. Our society would define it as an absence of conflict. But if I could redefine it tonight just for us, I believe that in the Bible, and it is, illustrates this over and over and over again, that peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of God in the midst of conflict. Notice what Elijah does. He confronts King Ahab. It's a full-on confrontation, like I said, threatening, predicting that no rain for a few years, right? And he's obedient to it, just as how God gave him that word, Elijah is obedient. And what happens? The presence of God shows up. The presence of God shows up, but not in a form that we are familiar with, but it shows up in a, in a drought, it shows up in a serious drought. Now, notice what Elijah doesn't do. God gives him a word. Elijah doesn't do this. He doesn't question God. I know that there wasn't smartphones back in the day, so there was no way for him to do this. But if he did, you know, he didn't pull up his smartphone and was like, weather app, let's check the 10-day, no, 10-month. Uh, oh, could it actually predict three years? God, are you sure? Few years, no rain? But Elijah trusted God, right? You see, I think that if we were to put ourselves in Elijah's shoes, we wouldn't respond the way that Elijah did. I think that if God gave us a word to speak that, that prophetically, that in a few years, no rain, our logic and the ugly cousin reason would come into play. You see, we're only obedient, right? We need the, the signs. We need the wonders. We need the stars to line up. Like, we need things to line up in order, in order for us to obey God. You know, some of us here, we've heard God's voice, and we put it off to the side. And you said, you know what? I'm not really quite sure. Some of us, God is maybe saying to you, you need to quit your job. It's not because you're not happy in it. Some of you may be making lots of money with it. Some of you may be actually experiencing a lot of success. 
But God may be saying to you, not just tonight, maybe from just up to this point, he's been saying, you need to quit your job. And you're just saying there like, well, what's next? I'll quit. I'll put in my two weeks notice if I know what I'm heading into. Does that sound like any of you tonight? God may have spoken to you that you're in this toxic relationship and he's saying you need to get out of there. And some of you, you have that savior syndrome, that savior complex of that you actually think that you're good for that person and that you're actually needed to stay in that relationship. Are you serious right now? Listen, when God tells you to move, you either go, you stay, or you disobey. I'm going to repeat that one more time. Listen, you either go, you stay, or you disobey. And if you're putting off to the side, especially with money, you know, how we think that, hey, I, I need this to, I need like a month of savings. I need 401k to actually live, you know. Let me just say this. This might actually kind of sting because it, it stings for me. A delayed obedience is still disobedience. Some of you tonight, if you hear this, you need to respond to God. Whatever God is saying to you, you need to respond. And I wonder, seriously, what our lives would look like if we actually confronted the areas that are in conflict. And not just being an idol, right? When I say idol, I mean I-D-L-E. Because false idols cause you to be idle. For you to not move. So now let's get back into the story. Three years now have passed by, severe drought that has caused a severe famine. And the people are like freaking out. The kings are freaking out, and he's like, oh my gosh, the crops and animals, they're all dying. And fast forward a little bit, Ahab and Elijah, they have a second encounter. And this time around, Elijah challenges King Ahab and his prophets of Baal to what we all know, what? The showdown at the mountain. Meet me at the mountain. Meet me at Mount Carmel. Are you guys familiar with the story? Which, by the way, I didn't mean to do this. I want to throw in a quick plug. Uh, we're going to be going up Stone Mountain. And we're going to be praying for racial reconciliation. I'm going to throw out that plug right there. Meet us there. I'm not really exactly sure what date. It's on the website. But seriously, it's going to be August 25th. There you go. Thanks for correcting me. So... Elijah challenges King Ahab, the prophets of Baal. They show up at the mountain. Think about it. This is one prophet versus 450 prophets of Baal. How, like, how crazy is that, right? And Elijah is literally yelling at the people, yelling at the prophets, yelling at all who came. Like seriously, like when he challenged them, if he was living in our day and age right now, what he was doing, he was tweeting about it. He tagged everyone on Instagram, invited everyone's mamas and their mamas, and they all showed up. And this is what he said. He said, how long will you limper between two opinions? If Lord is God, follow him, right? But if Baal is God, follow him. But the response was this. The people were silent. And so this is what happens next. He challenges the prophets of Baal, hey, build your altar, okay? Build an altar, sacrifice a bull, cut it to pieces, and lay it down. Cry out to your God, and I will do the same. And whoever, when, if the Lord responds with fire, that's the one true God. So the prophets of Baal, they go first. They go first, and it is a scene. They do everything that they need to do, but after they do that, 
they are crying out to Baal. It says, oh, Baal, like, answer me. Oh, Baal, answer me. It's interesting because he's the God of rain, but they're expecting fire. What foolishness, right? But anyway, so it says this. I love what the ESV says. It says, no one paid attention. It was silent. And then they proceed to worship day and night, crying out to Baal. And what, and what they do is, it's really hilarious. They're dancing. They're dancing. You know, they're like, shoo, 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 Baal, Baal. Like, you know, like they're, they're doing like all of that. And then not just that, they like end up cutting themselves. They cut themselves. They're losing sleep. And they're looking really, really crazy. And um, which reminds me of something. Anytime when we worship a false god, when we worship a false idol, even though we may not be physically cutting ourselves or dancing all crazy, but we are looking crazy, right? We lose sleep over it. We lose money over it. We lose our IQ. We lose our EQ. And don't just go judging the prophets of Baal looking crazy because we do the same thing. So Elijah's turn is next. He does everything that he needs to do, but he grabs 12 stones. I'm sorry, God. This, this is a lot of Bible. I hope you're, you're with me still. He takes 12 stones, 12 stones that represents the 12 tribes of Israel. He builds an altar with those 12 stones, and he digs a trench. He digs a trench. He sacrifices the bull. He lays it out, and then he does. The, the next thing that he does is so crazy because he fills four jars of water and he does it three times do your math how many is that 12 now what's so crazy is this let me remind you that this is a time when there was a drought this is a time when the land was dry and so when you look at water it was the most valuable resource at the time the most valuable commodity and what Elijah do in many people's eyes it may seem foolish it's like we should hoard it. Like, this is the only water we have during this time. Elijah, what are you doing? But instead, Elijah pours it into the trench. He prays to God. He prays, and he prays specifically, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of covenant and commitment. And we know what happens next. Fire. Fire falls from heaven, and it consumes everything. And what happens next is kind of comedic because he slaughters the prophets of Baal. The Bible never really tells how that happens because it was 450 versus 1. Has anybody, like, when you read this, do you ever wonder, like, how the heck did he do this? It's not like that he's son Goku and he can go, like, Kamehameha on him. You know, like, have you ever wondered, like, how did one man take down 450 prophets of Baal? Like, it makes no sense. But going back to the water, the resource, and what I believe what God is trying to teach us and show us is this. What is the most valuable resource to us right now? What is it? I heard money. Did someone say that? Can you shout them out really quick? Time. I'm going to say money. I'm going to add one more, heart. Those are the most three, the three most valuable resources that we have in our possession. And sometimes that obedience 
that obedience that leads to God's presence, that obedience sometimes looks in the form of sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice your time for people who need Jesus? Are you willing to sacrifice your, your, your money? When you, seriously, like when you see a homeless person or when you see someone who's hungry, God, does your heart break for them? You know, especially with time. I didn't want to do this because I, I think that I'm going to open up a can of worms, but do you guys know, understand the difference between Kairos and Kronos when it comes to time? Kronos is literally minutes and seconds and hours and all of that, right? The one that we operate with. But we need to start working and operating in the Kairos time, meaning the God moments. Every single day, there's an opportunity for you and I to use our resources to bring people closer to God. Are you doing that today? <laughs> many people, many people are going through dry seasons, like the land of Israel right now. And our resources that we have is not for us to hoard, but it's for us to steward. It's for us to sacrifice so that people can come to know Jesus. Amen. So Elijah, he just had this mountaintop experience. Had this mountaintop experience. What does he do next? He goes back to Jezreel, okay? We're in 1 Kings 18 now. He goes back to Jezreel, which is the hometown of Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Now, if you think about that, you're like, why the heck would you do that? That, that'd be like the equivalence of the Golden State Warriors going into Cleveland Cavaliers territory for their championship parade, thinking that the Cavaliers are going to welcome them home. But that's not going to happen. Any LeBron fans here? We're going to have an altar call for you tonight. For, uh... But that is the equivalence. Why? Because Elijah expected a revival. Because he saw the power of God, he saw the fire of God, and he saw 450 prophets of Baal get on their knees, worship the true God, and he thought that King Ahab would go back home, tell his wife what had happened, repent to the one true God, and everything is going to be peachy. But that didn't happen. What happens? If you keep reading further and further, we just read this. Jezebel basically said, you're a dead man. You're a dead man. See, you and I, we experience the power of God, the healing, the miracles, the signs, and the wonders of God, right? But what happens when we go back home and we find that nothing has changed? Your family is still your family who doesn't know God. You go back to work and your boss is still the same jerk, right? That same boss. Your coworker is still the annoying coworker. You go back home and you still have homework that you have to do and you have that exam that you didn't study for. You go back home and you're still on your laptop looking for jobs. Because we have this experience with God and that it, it just causes us to have emotional and spiritual highs and we have this attitude of well if God is for me then who can be against me right like we think that we're actually invincible but when in reality when we go back home things actually might get worse and that's truth things might not turn around in an instant your family will still be your family right things could remain the same, right? The mountaintop experience that quickly follows 
with the valley low or the wilderness. And we can be like Elijah and we can be in our feelings. Or we can trust that God. God is the God who, who works all things together for good. The good and the bad, right? So will you, will, can we trust God tonight even in our valley low experiences? Man, I pray that you do. So Elijah now has given up. He is a despondent, depressed, disillusional man of God. Now, I, I say man of God because he's still a prophet. You see, we see one guy who is literally at the top of the mountain, laughing at the prophets of Baal, confident in God, trusting in his word. And by one statement by a queen, he becomes despondent, he becomes depressed, he quits the ministry because he basically gives up his servant, he gives up his staff, he quits. And to make matters worse, he says, Lord, take my life away. He wasn't courageous enough to do it himself, so he asked God. And I want to just pause just for one moment, if I can. And I've been wrestling with this as I was preparing this message, and I don't know, um, and I hope that this speaks to, to some of you tonight. I can confidently stand here tonight and say that I think there's a spirit, obviously, of, of suicide that's looming over our nation. This is nothing new. This has been going on for years and years and years, ever since the sin in the garden. And I, as I stand here today, I, I just couldn't avoid it. I, there's, there's just something that I felt like the Lord wanted me to address this tonight. Um, because in a room full of 500, 600 young adults, uh, I can imagine that there's some of you here tonight who have contemplated um, thought about it, maybe attempted to, um, had thoughts. If I could be really honest, uh, I know that I did a long time ago, and I can stand here tonight confidently to say that God has delivered me and healed me, and by the grace of God. But I, what I... See, this is what, every single time you bring this up, I need a box of tissues. Like, that's for real. And <clears throat> what I want to say to you tonight is this. You're not alone. It's part of who we are, uh, our humanity, uh, our brokenness. And um, I want to read you guys some um, interesting statistics really quick um, that should really, really open our eyes. It says nearly 30,000 Americans commit suicide every year. It's, in the, it's interesting that it's the season of spring that the suicide rates are the highest. Suicide is the third leading cause of death for millennials. On average, one person commits suicide every 16 minutes. Each suicide intimately, intimately affects at least six other people. About two-thirds of people who complete suicide are depressed at the time of their death. Depression that is untreated, undiagnosed, or ineffectively treated is the number one case of suicide. Males make up 79% of all suicides, while women are more, are more prone to having suicidal thoughts. It's so real. Guys, um, I'm not the most educated in this. I don't have a counseling degree. I don't have that. But what I'll say is this, if you need help, ask for it. Don't let pride get in the way. 
don't, don't get it to the point where you're just ready to give up. Speak up about it. I mean, there's a national hotline that you can call. But more importantly, we believe that the supernatural power of Jesus can heal and deliver us. See, like I said, it, it happened from the garden. It started there, and it happens, and it will continue today. But I believe that Jesus, that he came, right, that he came to give us life and to have it abundantly. And the plans of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy has failed and ultimately will fail. He is a liar. And so what I want to do right now, if you guys could just join me, I want to pray. I want to pray for the people. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for generations to come so that our nation, us, even as individuals, that we can be healed tonight. And so if you guys could just join me. God, I just recognize for who you are and, and recognize this moment for what it is. And God, when we bind the spirit, the attitude of suicide, and we put it at the foot of the cross, and we say right now that, God, we are not in defeat. We are not living in defeat, but by victory. Jesus, you came and you died for this, God. God, I am praying for a supernatural healing and deliverance of those who are struggling with contemplating suicide, attempting suicide, or just even having thoughts of, am I valuable? Am I worthy? Will they even notice? Does my life even matter, God? I pray that those questions, that they would find all their answers in you. God, if there's any generational curses, God, I break that, God, right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that this moment forward that our future generations, God, our kids and their kids' kids will no longer carry this attitude and spirit of suicide, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the peace, for giving us that victory. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. You're not alone. And more importantly, you have the church. This is why, one of the reasons why the church exists and why it needs to continue to exist. Because it's not a museum of saints, but a hospital for broken people like you and me. And what we need to do, like Erskine's message the first week, we need to put that mask off. And stop acting like we got it all together. That people can really relate to us and that we're not just broken people, but that we are healed people in the name of Jesus. So that's why we exist for a place of healing and peace, which leads us to the second point, is that peace is in God's pace. Peace is in God's pace. You know, when we're not at peace, I often find that when I'm not at peace, I struggle with the present. I'm pretty sure that, you know, a lot of you could resonate with that. And when we're not at peace... We think back in the past, we look forward to the future, we begin to analyze like every single thing, every scenario, every circumstance. We look to the future hoping that the future is better and we just become completely restless. We lose sleep, we lose ability to focus and um, I'm just reminded, no wonder the infomercials are on so late at night. You know like when you're up at like 2, 3 a.m., like, even the dumbest thing sounds brilliant. Like, has anyone, like, bought something from an infomercial? 
Because at like 2 or 3 a.m., it sounds great. But after you buy it, you're like, what the heck? Like, did I buy this thing? Like, it makes no sense. And so as we get back into the story, we look at Elijah, who is a depressed man of God. Let's look at how God responds to him. Let's look at the wisdom, the incredible wisdom of God, how he treats the servant. Because uh, it's incredible. Like, it makes absolutely no sense because God can do anything. But the first thing that God does for Elijah is this. As Elijah is running away, he falls asleep under a broom tree. We are now in 1 Kings 19. He falls asleep under a broom tree. And he sends an angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord pokes Elijah and he wakes him up. Think about it. The first thing that God does to treat Elijah is what? Rest. It's sleep. How many sleepers out there? Like how many of you enjoy sleeping, you know? Like I used to be the kind of guy who was like sleep is for the weak, you know? Or like there was like a rap lyric like sleep is the cousin of death, you know? Like it sounded really dope back then, but it sounds really stupid now, you know? But it's like, after I got married, man, I love sleep. And so what God does is instead of going super spiritual on Elijah, he's not like, he's like, he said, hey, you're tired because you're not praying enough or you're not worshiping enough or you're not doing all the right things. He doesn't acknowledge that Elijah is a spiritual being, which he is. What he does is that he acknowledges that he's, he's physical, that he's human. And I believe that God is speaking to us today is this. God acknowledges our humanity. So Elijah falls asleep. The angel of the Lord pokes him. He wakes him up. And what's the next thing that the angel of the Lord does? He bakes him bread. He cooks for him. Is there anything like super spiritual about that? I mean, maybe sometimes, you know, if you're into that kind of stuff. But like he bakes bread, and he gives him water, which then Elijah eats. Then he falls asleep again to wake up only to find more bread and more water. Again, he acknowledges our humanity. He says, Elijah, I know that you are spirit and soul, but you, are also, you also have a body. For some of us tonight, maybe this will speak to you that you got to start taking care of your physical body. For those or those late night owls, you guys are on the YouTube, like the black hole and losing sleep over that. Like you need sleep. Like, listen, I'm not a sleep doctor, so I'm not going to even going to try to sound educated in this, you know. But I do know this. They said that if you get enough sleep, they said that your, uh, the, the chemical, like the balance is, look, like I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. All I'm saying is this. If you get enough sleep, you're going to focus. You're going to be able to make Better decisions, right? Again, the God of the Bible, with infinite wisdom, he doesn't get spiritual like many of us would. Because when we look at our friend who's going through a depression or looks like they're down, like our response sometimes is like, man, you need to like, like cut this and you need to like pray. And what's your prayer life looking like? Or like, when's the last time you fasted? You know, how about we just ask them, hey, are you okay? Like, are you sleeping? Are you resting well? Are you eating right? Or a matter of fact, if you're not, how about you come to my house and we'll, bake, we'll break bread? Like, seriously, like, we, so, like, trust me, I'm all for praying. I'm all for fasting. I'm all for worshiping. I'm all for that. 
But seriously, can we just stop being these super Christians who think that the answer is always Christian things? Listen, like this might sound like heresy to some people, but seriously, it is not unbiblical to treat your physical. Now, I didn't mean to even rhyme that one, so there, there's your one-liner for tonight. It is not unbiblical to treat your physical. Seriously, depression, uh, I, I know that's, that's rampant. That's, that's a lot of us. A lot of us could, could identify to that, and depression could lead to isolation, and that's a place that no one should be or, or no one that has to be, and Elijah was in this place of depression and look what God used in this moment he used an angel of the Lord he used the angel of the Lord for companionship and this is the reason why I love BJ's message last week the importance of community the importance of small groups shout out to all the small group leaders hey listen can you show some love to to your small group leaders I, I love I love that image when someone was down and, and, and I think it was, I forgot who it was. They just bent down to meet them where they're at to pick them back up. If you're not in a small group tonight, I highly encourage you to get into a small group. It is life-changing. I think that was one of your points, too. It is life-changing. Now, Elijah got some food. He got some sleep. Now he's strengthened, and he's ready. He's making this, the next 40 days and nights trip, and he's going to this place called Mount Horeb. Now, more history. Mount Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai, known as the Mount of God. Now, if you know your Bible, now this is where Moses was also, right? When the glory of God passed by him, it was Moses who was standing, um, who settled in Mount Sinai. So just kind of put that in, in your frame of reference, like put that as a bookmark. So Elijah comes, he arrives at the cave. And he has this awesome conversation with God, all right? And, and, and God initiates this conversation by one simple question. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, really quick, whenever God asks you that question, like son, daughter, fill in the blank your name, what are you doing here? It's not for God to know, because he already knows. It's for you to know. And that's what he was doing to Elijah. Now, Look at what God is doing. God is now dialoguing with this depressed servant, and he's introducing to Elijah and to us that God is a relational God. He is a personal God. He is more than just the God of signs and wonders. He is more than just the God of famine and drought and fire. And what he's doing is this. He used all of that. To bring Elijah in closer. Again, God works, all God works all things together for good. The good and the bad. And he brings Elijah closer and closer. And he asked the question, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah's response is fantastic. It's absolutely idiotic. If I could be really, really honest. Because if you go back into scripture, I'm not going to read it verbatim, word for word. He's, basically what Elijah is saying is this. God, I did exactly what you asked me to do. Where the heck were you? I showed up. I was obedient. You showed up like a famine the first time of drought. 
I sacrificed all of my valuable resources and they showed up in a fire. Now people are after my life. Where were you? Where was the provision in that? Elijah's asking, where is the protection in that? Which leads us to our last point of the line, point number three, that peace is in the promise of God. The promise, I didn't say promises, I said the promise of God, which is salvation, which is the gospel. And what we can learn right now from the life of Elijah is this. Up until this point, Elijah was very familiar with God. He knew God as the God of the famine, the God of drought, the God of fire. And what happened was that Elijah had like the spirit of religion creeping up. As he began to experience God, his vision and his experience of God just kept growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And all he did was expect and expect to God to show up on his terms. In this moment, in this dialogue that Elijah has with God, we see a man who is completely disillusioned. In this moment, what God is drawing out by that one simple question of Elijah, what are you doing here? What we see is this, the sin coming out of him, the brokenness coming out of him, the self-righteousness that's coming out of him, the works righteousness that came out of him, the guy who thought that I deserve everything that you have for me. And we could be tempted to experience and feel the same. We could be tempted to look at God and not as a relational God, but of religion. Because that's what God, that's what Elijah did. He put God in a box. Stay with me right now. Some of you tonight may have put God in a box. Some of you has this mentality of A plus B, therefore, has to equal C. But in the kingdom of God, A plus B doesn't always equal C. A plus B can equal an ostrich. I know, random. I, know, I don't know where I got the ostrich. Do you see what's happening? Throughout the course of history of Old Testament and even New Testament, the God, the relationship, the God of relationship, what, he, what he's doing is he's preventing people like Elijah, like you and me, from going back into religion. And what he does and how he does that is through his whisper. Because we see in, in, in the scripture that it was actually the whisper if I could actually have the, the band come out right now. God literally drew Elijah in with a whisper. And tonight, like I said before on the top of the message, some of us have to be comfortable tonight in the whisper of God. It's not always just about the lights. It's not the things that should wow us the things that impress us. But the thing that what God is doing with the whisper is he wants to woo us in. He doesn't want to wow us. He can if he wanted to. But what he wanted to do in this moment and what I believe tonight for us is that God is inviting us to a place of relationship where he's literally meeting us right here. 
And he's saying this, I want to whisper. And sometimes the only way for you to listen and to hear my voice and to know my voice like a sheep knows a voice of a shepherd is for you to come close. The Bible says this, is when we draw near to him, that he would draw near to us. I want you to begin to imagine parents. If you're a parent here, to get your child's attention, you can yell, right? You can scream. You can discipline them, right? You can punish them. But instead, the best method, which actually I don't know if I can say that confidently because I'm not a parent yet, but I believe the best method is one that says this. Son, daughter, instead of yelling at you, instead of wowing you, I want to whisper. I want to talk to you. I want to whisper to you so that you can come closer to me, so that you can hear my voice. And I believe that every person here, every person who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ, you are sons and daughters of the Most High. I believe that the God of relationship wants to speak to you tonight. And how he does that is that he gives us the gospel. He gives us the gospel through the whisper, the still small voice of God, the word of God, the word of grace, the word of grace that covers judgment. You see, Old Testament, whenever we see famine, whenever we see drought, whenever we see earthquake, whenever we see fire, whenever we see wind, whenever we see water, that was God's token of judgment. Remember, Elijah's first encounter with God because of the unrepentant hearts was a drought. And the second time, because they were still unrepentant, was fire. And while we think that we're amazed by the, the drought and the fire, understand this, it was form of judgment. And what God is saying to Elijah through the whisper and through us tonight is this. I had to speak and yell and show up in dramatic ways just to get people's attention. Just so that I can have them repent. I had to show up in a drought. I had to show up in a fire. I had to show up in an earthquake. But for you, Elijah, because I love you. And for, for us tonight, because he loves us, he doesn't speak through an earthquake. He doesn't speak through a fire or the wind or the water. And he gives us the whisper, the word of God in fusion. Will you be content with the word of God? Will you stop looking for things to wow you? Will you stop looking for signs and wonders to impress you? Will you discipline yourself? to hear the voice of God. Judgment. God spoke in judgment. And it says this in 1 Kings. And we can go back to it. It says this in verse 11. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. 
And after the fire, the sound of low whisper. He wasn't in judgment. And he chooses to communicate to Elijah and us. His voice, the whisper, the voice of grace, the word of God, the word of grace. And to, to fast forward thousands of years later. As much as we can identify with Elijah, who has a nature just like us, I believe that the scripture is pointing us to a man that we can truly and fully identify with, who is Jesus. You see, what God was communicating is that Jesus is the one who took the fire. Jesus is the one who took the earthquake. Jesus is the one who took the wind and the water. Jesus climbed a different mountain. It wasn't Mount Carmel. It wasn't Mount Horeb, but it was called Calvary, a different hill, a different type of mountain. And he went on a journey. He was stripped. He was beaten. He was starved. He was spit on. And he was put a crown of thorns on his head. And if there was the person, if there was one that who was shouting, the one who was yelling, it was Jesus, Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was in that point that the intimacy of God was broken because notice this, he didn't say father. He said, my God, why have you forsaken me? And do you know how the father responded? In complete silence. He gave Jesus the silent treatment. So that you and I get the whisper. I don't know about you guys, but that, it humbles me. And it literally, it brings me, it literally brings me to my knees and I say, God, I need more of that. I need more of your grace. If we cannot bring ourselves to our knees, God, I pray that we will be humbled, God. Not by your judgment, but by your grace. Fusion, I know tonight it wasn't your typical kind of night. But I believe that tonight could be life-changing. Not by the miraculous, maybe the miraculous, but by the simple sound of a whisper. By the simple and gentle sound of the Father speaking into you. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a moment, just a moment of reflection. And as we do that, I just invite all of you to silence everything. Silence your phones. Silence the distractions that, that you may have right now. And just come before the Father and just ask God, what are you trying to say to me tonight? Tonight's message is not about you should do this more or, or you should stop doing this, but being in the presence of God. Because the presence of God outweighs our performances. 
If there's anything that I would want for you, for us, for all of us, is to experience God's presence and to hear his voice. And I pray and I hope that for some of you, you may be hearing things like this. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're not a mistake. Don't give up. Endure. Persevere. I died for you. You are beautiful. You are worthy to be loved. I've bought a price for you. Maybe for some of you, it's you've been forgiven. Stop trying to earn my love and just receive it. And the only way that you could do it is to understand that God's grace for you is free tonight. Fusion, I hope that you can be comfortable in the sound of silence.